Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. Go ahead. We met at church. We met at... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we I met at our former church. Okay, so can I tell them? When I kind of knew he liked me. And, okay, you know that look that men give you where they're totally looking through you at church? <laughs> so he gave me that look, and it was really kind of a turnoff for me. And then I could kind of feel that there was an age gap, too. So I really wasn't interested at all. You, like, you, tell, all. People, you tell people that I was looking through you and you undressing you with my eyes. You were. <laughs> you were. I wasn't in church. <laughs> in church, you were. Well, I might have been at you that were. time. You I were. don't know. You were. Yeah, I was a yeah. different person back then. And then I was running the usher board. I think that's why you got on the usher board, huh? Just to be no, different. you asked me to get on the usher board. Did I? Yeah, oh. and then and then because we needed more men. And then you talked about my suit. I didn't talk about your suit. You did. You didn't like my suit. Because I said you had only one suit. Well, but I had a suit. <laughs> and then you talked about it. Okay. She talked about my suit. I didn't talk about his suit. <laughs> yeah, she did. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that must have been around 1999. Yes. When we met. And then at that time, I was answering, God was putting a call on my life. To, he was calling me into the ministry. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was single, but I, uh, you know, I really wanted to be married, but I wanted to be married the right way, you know, because of the last two marriages, it, it was not good. And so I just really didn't, didn't understand, you know, and, um, when I had gotten to this church and I had answered, was answering the call that God had on my life, I was really afraid because I didn't want to mess up. You know, I didn't want to mess up, but I mean, I ended up messing up anyway, big time, you know, but uh, that, I guess that's another, another part of the story. So that would have been about 1999 mm-hmm. or two, th- yeah, about 99. Right. Because I was, I was running from LA to Los Angeles twice a week. Right. No, I mean, LA to San Francisco twice right. a week. Right. Right. How old was I then? 35? You were probably 33. 33, 33, yeah. right? 33. 33, right. I was single too. I had been single since 1996. Had been married for 10 years before that and then divorced. I was just doing my thing. I reconnected with the church that I was born in and got very involved and just felt like I just wanted to make a difference. We met. I didn't see anything in him, which is kind of weird because I think God kind of had blinders on my eyes for a season because I think he's a great looking guy, but I didn't see it then. My grandmother says that she liked me then. I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. She saw something I didn't see. My grandmother see. said she likes you. She yep. saw something I didn't see. My grandmother saw it. <laughs> 
So anyway, I think we knew each other for about two years before we started dating. And then one day, this might sound kind of weird, but it was like God said, look at him. And then I saw him in a completely different light after knowing him for like two years. And it was like, he kind of fine. <laughs> but I didn't see that before. So I think I really feel like God was preparing me and preparing him to be together. Mm, it was that old Cadillac I drove. Oh, yeah. See, right. See, I had an old 65 Cadillac and uh, with white leather uh, uh, interior. And I sat her in that Cadillac and I took her for a ride. I took her out to eat. I fed her. See? <laughs> see? And then when I fed her, that was it. And I was playing some oldies. See? And I took her out for Krispy Kreme donuts <laughs> later on that night. Right? And then it was a wrap. I, I agree I'm with just that. joking. Yeah. I'm just messing yeah. No, I, no, it's true. Because yeah. I didn't, before that, I didn't even no, notice you. No, we didn't. That. We were really good friends. Yeah. And we worked in ministry together. Right. We were doing um, this uh, ordeal called True Love Waits, um, talking to young people about abstinence before marriage. And so and so we were doing that together. And, um, and I really wanted to be married, you know, but... All of my friends and the people that were mentoring me at the time, they were like, stop looking, mm. just run your race for the Lord and work for the Lord, and then God will bring who he's going to bring, you know? I definitely wanted to be married again, too. I liked being married. It just didn't work out the first time, but I knew I wanted to. I actually got engaged to somebody else before him at the same church. <laughs> Yeah. And that didn't work. But it was, the timing was very odd because the year that I was with this other person, he left the church. Right. And you had gone left. to go to ministry school at another church. Right. Right. Yeah, I and left. So, and then my mentor um, at the time, one of the deacons, he was telling me to come back, you know, to the church. And uh, he was telling me that there was somebody there that was going to help me get a job in computers. Then also at the same time, he said, oh, yeah, Julie, Julie, she's engaged to get married. And when I heard that, it, it like it broke my heart. And I didn't know why. I was like, man, why am I heartbroken about her getting married to somebody else? I don't even know her yeah, or we hadn't like even dated that. We hadn't even dated, you know, but it, my heart was broken. And when I came back to the church, you know, you know, I saw the guy and I just thought to myself, <laughs> What's she dating him for? (laughs) What's up with that? Yeah, but anyway, he he didn't make it. (laughs) All right. My first marriage, I think, uh, was uh, six or seven years. Uh, My second marriage was about three years. And after two divorces, I started looking at myself, saying something's wrong. You know, I just can't point the finger at, you know, the women that I had divorced. You know, I had to start looking at me. And I understood that, you know, back then that I'm better married than single. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't be single. I'm just better off married. I, you know, I function better and I do better married. And so I was like, Lord, you know, obviously my picker, you know, is bad. (laughs) 
So, you know, if you're out there, (laughs) you're you're gonna have to bring, you know, to me who you want for me and I have to sit and wait on you. And it was really difficult. I think that was about a five year span. I think just being raised without a father and uh, I understood that I was really immature in a lot of ways uh, when it came to finance, when it came to paying bills, when it just came to just functioning properly in the world, I didn't have those skills. And um, I knew that I was going to need help. And so my prayer to God was, Lord, let her love you more than I love you, because I knew that I was a wild card also at the same time. And then I said, Lord, let her be a beautiful sister. And Lord, let her not have any kids. And I said, Lord, one other thing. Let her be right under my nose. You know, let me not know who she is, but let her be right under my nose. And it happened just like that. It was just the weirdest moment. We were walking out of the side door of our church, just chatting. He and I were chatting. There were a couple of other friends, and we're just kind of chatting. And it's just like right at that moment is when God said, look at him. So even before the Cadillac ride, even before lunch and the Krispy Kreme donuts, there was just a spark and there was something. But I had already seen, I'd known him for a couple of years and there was nothing. And so at that moment, so I know that came from the Lord. It was, it was, he was the one. Although I had no idea what I was going to have to go through. (laughs) With you. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've been through a lot. Yeah. (laughs) We had one fight before we got married. Did we? Yeah, we did, and I don't remember what it was. That was probably a sign right there. We didn't, we weren't fighting. We weren't dealing with conflict. But yeah, I don't even remember what it was. But you said you were sorry, and then we moved on. Uh, yes. Yeah, the wedding was great. It was a church wedding. It was an awesome um, with all wedding. of our friends and family, yeah. and actually, we invited the whole church, and um, got a lot of support uh, from just everybody, and it was great. Yeah. Until when? Maybe <laughs> about two years in. Probably about two years. About two years in. Yeah. I mean, uh... Yeah. Man, well, I had a double life. I, uh, being a minister, you know, I'd be preaching to people on Sunday, Mm -hmm. telling them how they should live. But I was living, um, totally not right. You know, I had a drinking problem. I had a marijuana problem. I had a cocaine problem. And I had a, a womanizing, a whoremongering problem, you know, and uh, God stopped me dead in my tracks. He boxed me in and he made me think that I had contracted a STD and I thought that I had given it to my wife. And then I had to tell her, then I had to tell our pastor, then I had to tell our congregation it was like that was like the beginning of the end that would have been about 2007 and it was horrible that's not two years in right that would have been maybe three years about five no four years when all of it came to a head yes see there was it was the the issues were starting to surface Mm -hmm. when we talked about being raised very differently I grew up very white bread. I, you know, was in the band. All my friends were band nerds. You know, when we left the game, we weren't going to the get high party. We were going to pizza, you know, Shakey's Pizza. He lived, he grew up very differently. And when you don't know what that looks like, you don't know what to look for. 
And so I would see things and I would just kind of write them off like, oh, well, that was kind of weird, but I just thought he just had a bad temper or something. You know, he kind of fluctuate, the personality would kind of fluctuate. And then the text messages would start and then I'm going all psycho crazy, checking the phones and well, who is this? And what's this number? And then because of the industry he worked in, it was really kind of hard to <laughs> to do that, you know, to see a strange number. Oh, that was my boss or I worked on this job site or whatever. So um, I think about two or three years in, I really kind of figured out what was going on. Right, right. That yeah. there were, that I was seeing other women. That, yeah, there were other women involved. You know, when we when we first started dating, um, I was having problems with being faithful. And um, I had uh, met a young lady that had lived around the corner from me. And um, she had gotten pregnant and we had to go through the DNA test stuff. So I came into the relationship with all kind of mess, you know, and, and drama, you know, well, that'd be red flags. Uh, naturally, uh, red flags, and of course she, she, she ran them all, and uh, it was it was horrible, and I didn't understand what a life of uh, uh, behaving myself, you know, faithfulness. I didn't understand what that looked like. When God put the call on my life, I was like, well, Lord, you know, how are you going to call me into the ministry? You know, I've got a drinking problem, a drug problem, and a woman problem. How is it that you're calling me? And I didn't understand that. And I knew that there were problems. And I was battling, battling, battling. But I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know how to quit. Over the years, God just put people into my life to help me to get past all these issues. It was a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. The call in my life, it was... a. Uh, it looked like was um, visions and dreams. God would give me visions of uh, seeing myself in the pulpit, you know, preaching to people. He would come to me in my sleep, come to me in my dreams. It was really vivid, extremely vivid, extremely real. And um, a lot of the things that he showed me, you know, came to pass. I think a lot of the, some of the things they haven't come to pass yet, but that's, but that's what it looked like. And that's what it felt like, you know, and um, he still deals with me that way from time to time. For me, again, I I'll be real honest, I was really pretty naive, even though I wasn't quite so young, but I was still pretty naive. And I looked at it like an isolated incident. I didn't look at it like this was this pattern of behavior. I also knew he was a recovering addict, drug addict. Again, not understanding what that looked like. I didn't know. I just thought you could stop like, okay, I'm not going to eat chocolate anymore. So I didn't understand how the drugs like hijack your brain and get in your system and get in your DNA. And that's something that is a struggle forever. I mean, unless you allow God to intercede and intervene on that and a lot of accountability. I didn't understand that men that are raised without their fathers have no boundaries. <laughs> And they will push the envelope as far as they can go. And that's pretty much the lifestyle he was living. He was just pushing every envelope, you know, every avenue of his life. I didn't understand that. I grew up a very simple life. I had two parents in the home, just very simple. And so I didn't know what all that looked like. I didn't know to the depth of what it was. 
So I said, well, it's an isolated incident. You know, everybody has a previous life before you get together. And like you said, that was a red flag that I turned yellow and then stepped on the gas and said, let's go. <laughs> because I knew I wanted to be married too. And I wanted to marry somebody that was in church that was serving the Lord. And uh, that's how we went forward. Yeah. And I just thought, okay, well, that's done. And we can just move forward and move on. I didn't. And then he was so good. I think once we got in the marriage, he was so good at covering the addictions. I didn't see it. Or I would, or he could explain something away and I'd be like, that makes sense. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, so I, I, it took me a while to catch on like what was really going on. And then I just, I think most people, how you are, you think that that's how the world operates. So I figured I was operating with integrity. You must be operating with integrity. We met in the church. We're both serving the Lord. Why not? You know, with regards to my behavior, I never wanted to do the things that I was doing. You know, I thought to myself, you know, the last thing I want to do is, you know, tear up a church or Mm -hmm. mess up. That's the last thing I want to do. But how you feel emotionally and then how you behave physically or subconsciously are two different things. And I wasn't able to understand the difference. I had to learn and understand it took me a while that men don't operate off of our feelings, our emotions. You know, you could have a feeling or an emotion, but that doesn't make the feeling or the emotion or the thought, whatever you're thinking, that doesn't make it okay. Right. And so as a man, I had to learn that despite how I feel, I have to operate off of godly principles, you know? And so it's, uh, it's always a sacrifice. And it took a while for me to learn that and to understand that. But as far as us being married, um, I'll never forget the day I was, I was, um, I had changed careers and I got into construction. And one night I was coming up here to visit Julie and God was saying to me, he said, uh, ask her to marry you. You know, I says, but Lord, I don't even have an engagement ring. You know, I don't even have any money. I'm broke, <laughs> you know? He said, that's okay. That's okay. Ask her to marry you anyway. She's going to say yes. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, and so that's what I did. And she said, yes. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess the rest is kind of history. (laughs) Right. My first marriage, um, there was, well, both. Yes. My first and my second. Yeah. There was infidelity in both marriages. The second was a result of the infidelity of the first, on the first, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My second marriage, uh, she was, well, I don't know if it's hard to say, but yeah, she was my mistress while I was at my first marriage, and I left my first marriage to marry, yeah, yeah, my second wife. I don't think I understood the, well, did I? Yeah, I knew you left the first one for the second one. Yeah, I, we I, did. I can't. Did. Re- I can't remember exactly, but if she says we did. Then we did. I guess we did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I think because I have been a person that I do what I say, you know. <laughs> I just feel like okay, that was in the past. I had a previous marriage too. All that's in the past. We're making this commitment before God and our friends and family, and we're moving forward. I didn't see how that, as I said, was a pattern of behavior and that that 
And then I think as a woman, you always want to think, well, you're different. That was them. And this is me, and I'm more special than they are. <laughs> so he's going to stay true to me, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot, of, a lot of people think that, oh, well, because he's a minister, uh, you know, because he has this call on his life, mm -hmm. then he's going to be the perfect person. He's going to be a good guy, and he would never do anything wrong. You know, nothing's further from the truth. This is true. Right. Just because God, you know, puts a call on your life doesn't mean that you're necessarily, you know, that you necessarily have living. it together, right. that you're living properly. And that was the case with me. I was always at war with myself. You know, I was always battling inside. I knew that the things that I was doing, I knew that they were wrong. But at the same time, uh, there were times when I didn't care. You know, um, I was having a good time doing the things that I was doing, but then I was always at war within myself. So I was extremely unhappy. Uh, it's like I had enough God in me to be miserable, <laughs> right. you know, and at the same time, well, yeah, it's like I had God and I still had the world and the things that I was doing going on at the same time, which made me extremely miserable. And I, I had to learn uh, to choose, am I going to stay in the world mm -hmm. or else am I going to live for God? You know, it was going to be one or the other. And I, you know, I wanted to choose God, but I really had a hard time. I really had a hard time. No, I didn't think that I was past it. Um, I just had a lifestyle of just living a lie. Literally, mm. I was just, I just had a lifestyle of living a lie. And I was just hoping that one day God would just wave a magic wand or some mm -hmm. sprinkle some fairy dust and <laughs> take it all away. And then I would be perfect, you know, but it didn't happen that way. My husband did have uh, a daughter from a previous marriage, from his first marriage. And... It seemed like the weekends that she would come to visit, which was every other weekend, there would be turmoil in the house. And I just got to the point where I would expect it for him to have an attitude. And I knew it wasn't her, but there was a lot that came with it, too. Um, he was surrounded with very strong women, myself included. He had his mother. He had his grandmother. He had his ex-wife, his daughter's mother, and then his daughter. You know, <laughs> she was young at the time, but so... When she came to stay with us, it brought all these other forces, all these other women into our household because his mom felt like she should run the show. His ex-wife felt like she should run the show. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm the only one that's paying rent here. I feel like I should be running the show. And he was really caught up between trying to please all these women and it just made him angry and frustrated. I would get angry and frustrated. And so every other week we kind of did the same dance over and over and over I just contributed to the fact that he just can't deal with all these strong women because everybody wants their way. And uh, I didn't, I wouldn't have attributed to drugs or alcohol. Like I said, I knew, I thought he was off. He was very good at covering. So I had no clue that that was what was going on. And um, I'm trying to think, how did that even all come out? You know, God's timing is perfect. I think had I known from the beginning, all the things that were going on, I'm sure I would not have stayed. But he, God allowed me to see it at a time when I was ready to see it. I think when he started talking to his ex-wife, second ex-wife, 
what about two years maybe about 2004 probably yeah about two years maybe two or three years into and they were doing this texting back and forth and conversations and he would always say it's not that kind of party and i'm like why do you have to answer the phone you know it's her calling why do you have to answer the phone it's not that kind of party and so at some point she sent a picture of herself very scantily clad (laughs) and i just happened to be standing next to the phone when the text went off and i look and i'm like who's this and then that kind of opened my eyes like okay this is a bigger problem than i'm realizing and god is faithful he at that time had brought some mentors into our life which we didn't realize they were going to be lifelong mentors uh we were scheduled to attend a marriage conference half-day seminar at a church here in Pasadena. And we got to the church parking lot and we were fighting about whether we wanted to go in. Of course, I all women want to go and get their marriages fixed. <laughs> and he's thinking we're going to be all touchy-feely and I don't want to do that with you. So we were literally arguing in the parking lot. This is how strong that the satanic force was. We were literally arguing in the parking lot before going into the church where the seminar was. I literally had to negotiate. I'm like, okay, we've paid money for this. (laughs) I at least, and I handled the money. I at least need to get half of my money worth of this. And so I said, why don't we, it was an all day seminar. I said, why don't we stay for dinner or stay up until lunch and then we can leave. And so he was okay with that. We got into the conference. There were four sets of speakers, couple speakers. The first two spoke before lunch. The second two spoke after lunch. The couple that ended up being our lifelong mentors, they spoke right before lunch. Because remember, we had decided we were going to leave after lunch. So God put them in the window that we needed to see them. And the husband gets up and he's talking about his issues with his mama. And I'm thinking, that's him. And, you know, and then he also said his wife spent too much money. And I'm thinking, that's him too. So I'm thinking, okay, we need to get to know these people. But I didn't want to push it because, you know, the more you push, they don't want to do it. So I kept my mouth shut. The lunch break came up. He gravitated to the husband. I'm like, yes, I'm doing the thank you, Jesus, happy dance inside, but I'm not saying anything. They started talking, found out he had a couples ministry out in Los Angeles that met every Tuesday night. And Mark said, okay, we'll go and we'll come see you. And I was like, yes. So that began a lifelong, well, at this point, we've known them for 12 years now, 12 years of our 14-year marriage. And he was the mentor that I had been praying for for two years to be in my husband's life. Little did I know that I needed a mentor, too, because, you know, you always think it's them. But I had my issues, too. But it began a friendship. It began a relationship. It began a mentorship. And for the first time ever, my husband was accountable to another man. Men don't grow unless they're accountable to other men. And he had not, not growing up with a father, he had not been accountable to anybody. Just buck wild. So this man was sent, I know, by God to reel him in. And then, of course, his wife had to reel me in because that's a whole nother subject. We were very upside down in our marriage. You know, God has a very divine order for marriage. It's God, it's the husband, it's the wife and the children. In our marriage, it was God, it was me, (laughs) it was him, and then our daughter. And that contributed as much to the problem 
as his addictions did. So I had to learn and understand godly submission when it came to being a wife. And so the, the mentor couple, that's what the wife had to teach me. So we both were struggling with our issues. No, I didn't know about the drugs at all. I didn't know that he so, was still on that. <laughs> I think that as far as the drugs were concerned, you know, when I was speaking earlier about that God boxed me in and he made me think I had, you know, an STD and that I passed it to my wife. I think that was the time I just came clean on everything. I figured, right. well, I mean, here I am, you know, I might as well just put it all out there because I was tired. I was tired of living, you know, a double life. I was exhausted. You know, when you try to portray to be one thing and then you're doing something else, it's just exhausting. Yes, I was afraid that I would lose um, Julie. And I knew that, man, if I'm, if I'm a, a preacher, divorce doesn't look good when you're a preacher. And I couldn't allow another divorce. You know, I couldn't afford to allow that to happen. But also, I knew that God put her in my life. I knew that. And I knew that I had some issues and I was going to have to get it together. You know, mm -hmm. and so when I met our mentors, you know, when I saw him sitting up there talking, I said to myself, he's for me. I know he's for me. You know, and um, I don't know how I knew that, mm -hmm. but, but, but there was just this attraction that I had to him. And I knew I'm going to have to get to know this guy. I knew that that was my only lifeline, you know, and if I missed it, we weren't going to be together. At the time, I was an iron worker, and um, we used to throw parties. You know, I'd go out with the fellas, you know, but really by going out with the fellas, you know, we were going to plan a party and bring the strippers and bring the drugs and bring the whatever, you know, and so there was a lot of that going on. So random, you know, random, multiple women. And I guess I got, um, I got comfortable because I thought that I was slick and I thought that I had it all together and I thought I was playing the game really, really well, you know, until, uh, you know, one evening there was, you know, an altercation with unprotected sex. I had always protected myself. And then God allowed me to think that I had caught something. I thought to myself, well, what I'll do is um, I'll just sit tight and I won't, you know, have sex with my wife. I'll go to the doctor, find out what this is, get the pills or get the shot, make it go away and everything's good. But she was coming on to me really strong and I was trying to oh yeah you know I got a headache uh, I don't feel <laughs> good uh, I'm tired until you know finally I knew well I can't just keep on I can't keep resisting and surely I can't put a condom on with my wife <laughs> and so we made love and then now there's really a burden like uh-oh not only do I have something now I've given it to her this is really bad bad, bad, bad. And so after I told her, and then I had to tell our pastor, I told the congregation, I went to the doctor and turned out that I didn't have nothing. That was just <laughs> God boxing me. <laughs> yeah. And thank God that Pretty I didn't good. have yeah. anything. I mean, gosh, but I mean, yeah, that was just God, just his way of just boxing me in and making me come clean. 
Well, like I said, the disclosure really didn't come until after we had begun to mentor with our with our couple mentors. While he was doing it, I didn't know that he was engaged in all this. I didn't even I was so naive. I didn't think people really did that. I mean, you see that on TV of like, who does that? Planning strip parties and meeting at hotels or clubs or wherever they go. I had no clue to that world. And I really couldn't believe it. Like I said, he was a minister in our church. It's like, that was so, so extreme. So I couldn't even imagine that type of life. So when you did tell her. Right. When you did come right. clean. How did you react? I told him, first we started with our pastor. I said, if you don't tell him, I will. <laughs> and then there was a program, I don't know if I can say the name, Every Man's Battle. It's a Christian um, program for men with sexual addiction. And again, I was in charge of the money and I almost have never said it to that point or even since, but I said, I don't care how much it costs and I don't care where it is, but you're gonna go. And so he did. And fortunately, it was here in Irvine, and it was within our budget, so that worked out well. And then that opened up a door for our mentor to begin to counsel him, because oddly enough, that had been his struggle as well. He had had an issue with women. And God will bring someone, or bring you to someone that's just like you, that's overcome it, so they can help you through the struggle. So that's exactly what happened with this. He was able to help Mark through that uh, struggle with the womanizing. What he told me to do, he said, you set up boundaries and you let him know and you decide what that's going to look like. So at that point in my mind, honestly, I was on my way out. Mentally, I was on my way out. I said, I'll do it because I'm going to be a good student and I'll do it. But I really didn't think it was going to help. I wrote him down, typed it out. He still carries it to this day. And I said, if you cannot do this, I'll be making plans to leave. And I, like I said, I really didn't think he could do it. But until you challenge someone to a higher level, you don't know what they can do or what they can't do. And he met the expectations. When I think when he was faced with, he could really lose me. Because I think you said you saw something different in my eyes at that point. And you were just like, oh, she's really going to go. <laughs> So I wrote him down, I carry, I told him, you know, do it what you will, but this is what I need. And if you don't, I'll be moving back home with my parents. Do you remember what that was for? Yeah, <laughs> it's, in that, it's in that three-room um, binder right there. Yeah, he still keeps it. I can read part of it, yes. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Sure. sure. The first thing I said was, love me, put your marriage first, right after your relationship with the Lord. Make your marriage your number one ministry. And I gave scripture for each one. I won't read through those. No more hanging out with people that don't bring God glory. Strip clubs, people like that, parties. Uh, tell the guys at work you are a Christian minister. Be a bold witness for Christ. Because no one knew at his job site that he even knew the Lord. <laughs> it's kind of like, was it Peter? I don't know him. <laughs> no, I don't know Jesus. <laughs> No more doing things that bring God no glory. No more affairs, sexual or emotional or otherwise. No strip parties, no drug use. Uh, no more things that jeopardize my future. Uh, no more talking to women on your cell phone unless you're related to them. So I made him pull all the 
women's numbers out except for his mother, his daughter. Oh, she didn't have a phone at that time. Daughter's mother <laughs> and various female relations, relatives. And uh, handle your responsibility. Persevere through your plans. Keep track of the stuff that's important to you. No more unaccounted spending. Oh, that was his other addiction. Spending like money. <laughs> like how he balanced our budget when no more money came out of the ATM. He knew we didn't have any money. <laughs> so that's uh, those are the basic things. I also told him he has to have a daily conversation with our the male mentor and our mentor couple every day. Uh, weekly accountability meetings. Um, we had to go to we had to do our couple counseling as well as be at their Tuesday uh, mentor Bible study and discuss with me your weekly progress, finish the book Every Man's Battle, and pray with me five days a week. That was basically it. And there's a whole bunch of scripture attached to that, so I don't know where that needs to go. Yeah. And he did. And we had a very uh, tight relationship with our mentor. So the minute I saw something that I didn't, that didn't look right, I'd address it with him, and then I'd call the mentor and say, this is what's happening. So the blinders were off at that point. <laughs> and I just wasn't going to put up with it anymore. You know, this is my second marriage. I didn't want to have a third marriage. I remember our mentor saying, do you want to stay married or do you just not want another divorce? And I really, I said, I'm going to think about that and get back to you. Because <laughs> at that point, I really didn't know. And I did pray about it. I believe that God wanted us to be together. I think sometimes, in spite of your own will and your own feelings, you have to go with what God is telling you to do. And I believe that He wanted us to stay together. I realized that the fruit from our staying together and working through it, we have been able to mentor dozens of other couples in that same struggle. Every marriage is a ministry. Every marriage God wants to use for His glory to further His kingdom. Marriage is tough. The marriage rate in churches is no better than it's in the world. The divorce rate, I should say, is as high in churches. And that's an atrocity. And so I know that God wanted us to stay together to help other couples stay together. So I didn't see that then. I had no clue. I wasn't even thinking about being married at that point because there was no ministry with the marriage because I just wanted out at that point. But I just felt like God, I believe that God wanted us to stay together. And he did. And he's used us. And it's been great. I think we are at the best point in our marriage and in our lives. And it's been really awesome. It's really, really awesome. (laughs) Um, I did exactly what the list says to do, you know, until it actually became who I am. And I keep it there as a reminder, you know, and whenever I, I have an issue, I, I go through it and I back up. Sometimes, you know, it's good to back up so you don't forget where you came from. And a lot of people do that. I think that, uh, you know, people need to understand that just because we go to church, you know, every single Sunday, that doesn't necessarily always constitute um, right Christianity or right living. Mm-hmm. What constitutes Christianity and right living is, you know, uh, doing what God's Word has to say. You know, it's not just a feeling, you know, on Sunday, you know, but it's actually living out what the Word says, and especially in marriage. Um, we live in a day and age where 
I think the black family um, is in trouble. We have, uh, I think, maybe upwards of 70% of black babies being born out of wedlock. Um, that's horrible. I think that uh, God's not pleased because of that. It takes a mother and it takes a father, you know, to be there, you know, living right, you know, and a lot of people don't realize it, but it takes the family. It's the family that makes up the church. So if the family is broken, the church is broken, you know, and there are a lot of churches anywhere USA, you know, that have a lot of broken families, you know, hence with a lot of issues. And I just think that brothers on a whole, you know, we have a lot of work to do. Um, we're living in a day and age where we lack commitment, mm -hmm. you know, and we'll get with the sister and we'll get what we want out of that sister. And then when we're done, because the feeling is gone mm -hmm. and because we lack commitment, well, now I'm not in love with you. Well, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. <laughs> You know, well, well, what about my feelings? Well, what about your feelings? Feelings have nothing to do with it. It's commitment, you know, and um, sacrifice. Nobody wants to sacrifice anymore, you know, and that's a problem. So my prayer, you know, and my hope, you know, is that God will continue to use, you know, my wife and I to make a difference, to teach people with, about what marriage looks like the right way, God's way you know, and not the world's way. Right. When I uh, got off into, uh, it's a great question, my weed and cocaine and alcohol problem, I just couldn't seem to get it together in the church. But one of the main reasons why I couldn't get it together is because a lot of churches don't allow for raw, uncut honesty. Mm -hmm. Talking about those things is kind of taboo, right. especially in the black church. Mm -hmm. And people don't want to, oh no, you know, I don't want to talk about that, you know, and because it's messy. It's really messy. Mm -hmm. um, the church is the hospital, right. you know, but we've taken it from being a hospital into a, a feel-good service. And so there was a brother in the church, another, well, he was a mentor too, my sponsor. Can I name names or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Our mentors <laughs> are Congaree and Janice Brown. You know, and uh, just really, really awesome. And, yeah. and, and my sponsor at the time was a brother by the name of Chris Pope. And I've been meaning to call him, I haven't spoken to him. But he says, all right, you know, you're going to get together, you're going to get sober. And this is how it's going to go. You're going to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I was like, what? <laughs> 90 meetings in 90 days? That's a meeting or two meetings every single day. I got to work. And I says, well, if I want to get right. What I didn't understand was that the first part to getting fixed is to be open and honest. Right. A lot of churches don't allow that open type of honesty because we just don't talk about those kinds of things. And so the program uh, that I was uh, involved in taught me about open honesty. And our mentors at the time, they were teaching us about what it meant to be truthful, to come clean and to be honest and to be truthful. And so that was just a whole lesson all in itself. 
for the most part, a lot of people, they're just not honest. And so becoming honest in every area of your life, that's a work in itself. But that's how we have to live, you know. And sometimes it rubs people the wrong way, you know. And um, it rubs them the wrong way because they're not comfortable and maybe they don't live their life that way. So, so that was the first thing I had to learn about honesty. As far as the sobriety, yeah, I would take a few birthdays here and there. But I also understood, uh, what I came to understand is that once God took the craving for drugs and alcohol away, I understood that there was more to my sobriety than Cocaine Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, that's just one level of spirituality. Um, taking your cakes and working the 12 steps and the 12 traditions and, 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 and whatnot. And um, Jesus Christ, he's a whole nother level. He's the ultimate level because he's the great healer. He's the great fixer. He heals. He can heal and fix anything. Crazy as it might sound, the only step that I ever worked was the first step mm-hmm. of the program. And um, I never worked any of the other steps or did any of the other work, you know. Um, but it was, you know, admitting that I had an issue with drugs and alcohol. But it was more than that. I had to admit, you know, that I had a problem with drugs, alcohol, lying, cheating, stealing, womanizing, sleeping around, everything, you know, and that my life had become totally unmanageable. Right. Not become, it was unmanageable, you know, and the only thing that could restore me was Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was the journey. And so I haven't taken the cake in years. You know, um, some people say, well, you should come and celebrate your sobriety or celebrate your birthday to help, you know, the person that's still struggling. You know, but God has blessed my wife and I to help others that are struggling anyway. Then I've heard people say, why should you take a cake or a birthday uh, you, you don't need a cake or a birthday to celebrate something that you should already be doing anyway. <laughs> right. right. You know, so it's it's either or, however a person decides that they want to want to look at it. I'm just grateful for where we are today. I knew that uh, it's like what you're saying, our, we pass our issues on, you know, um, um, God visits the sins of the father upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Um, when I was getting fixed, well, I'm still getting fixed. <laughs> it's not like I've arrived. But years ago, I knew that I had issues, and I knew that there was the possibility of my issues passing on to my daughter. I didn't know how to be a father um, because I never had a father. My biological father was murdered before I was born. And um, then I had a, a stepfather. My mother married this guy. He had an alcohol problem, and he was extremely hostile and very abusive to my mother. So I didn't understand what it looked like to have a father. When I divorced my daughter's mother, I divorced her and went to be with this other woman. But I really tried to work the relationship out to the best of my ability because I really loved her, but I didn't have the tools and I didn't understand. And because she was 16 years older than me, I couldn't compete with the wisdom 
with her wisdom. I couldn't compete. There was no way in the world that I could compete. Didn't have the tools, um, you know, and guys were not too quick anyway, you know, as far as the way we think and the way we process. And, and we fought like cats and dogs. And because we fought so much, I thought to myself, you know, it's better if we just be uh, apart, not together, because I don't want my daughter growing up in a household where there's fighting and cussing and arguing and police being called and all that. So I just thought that it was best. And um, as far as my child taking on my characteristics, I didn't really think about her carrying on my, taking on my characteristics. I was worried that she would get with someone or marry someone like me. So I've prayed for years, Lord God, you know, change me you know, into the person that you want me to be. And Lord, whatever you do, please don't let my daughter marry someone like me. Because I was horrible. I was a monster. You know, uh, Julie used to call me an angry black preacher. You know, but really, <laughs> I was a dog. I tell people all the time, every guy wants something clean. When a dog goes out into the yard to do its business, the first thing that that dog does is sniffs for a clean spot. Mm -hmm. So we're like dogs. We might not, uh, either we're dogs or we have dog-like tendencies. That's every guy <laughs> wants something clean, especially when he gets married. Okay. But the issue is what we do, if we don't understand manhood, we'll take that clean thing and we'll drag it into the gutter. You know, we don't understand, okay, I got something clean. I need to step up to the same level or standard of cleanness of what I'm getting with, you know, but because of our selfishness and our immaturity, like a dog, we'll take the bone or we'll take the rag doll and we'll dig a ditch and we'll bury it and we'll soil it all up. Now we're angry because our clean thing is dirty and now we treat it dirty. I used to role play with my daughter. I used to, uh, hey girl, Come on over here, <laughs> you know. So now, is that the kind of guy that you want to be? Oh no, 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 absolutely not, you know. And so I would try to talk to her and uh, try to explain to her that there are different kinds of guys out there, you know, and that you have to be careful and you have to be aware, you have to look out. And uh, just because, I mean, naturally you got your thug on the street, but you know what? You could be in college and still be a thug. So you got to look out for that too, you know? And so I used to talk to her about it, but there's more, I guess, about dating um, as far as there's subconscious issues that our mentors taught us about and, 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 and whatnot as far as dating, you know? And uh, I would try to, we would try to teach Ariel, you know, the best way to look for a guy or to date. But by that time she was growing up and I was trying to parent her and she's already grown up and it was kind of too late, but she's doing well. And um, matter of fact, we just had lunch together the other day. And, and uh, so now I just watch her, you know, grow and learn and make her mistakes and whatnot. And she's dating a guy, he's, he's nice, I like him. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm praying that they'll get married and whatnot. And, why do you think you marry women a decade? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, we haven't um, talked about your source. <laughs> yeah. You know, looking for a mommy. Looking for a mommy. Okay. 
Yeah. I'm looking, I, I marry women a decade older because oh I am looking for a mommy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're raised without a father, women by nature, they're, they nurture. Right. They nurture. And they're unable, you can't nurture and hold someone's feet to the fire at the same time. So in nurturing, a lot of women think, oh, I'll just give him everything, give him everything, nurture, nurture, nurture. But then what we do is we wind up, we wind up raising baby Hueys, (laughs) (laughs) over nurtured males, you know, but there has to come a time in a guy's life uh, you know, where the nurturing stops and now the hard work begins. And we're missing that in our culture, in the African-American culture. We're missing that. I think, what what is it? We raise our girls, but we love our boys. Baby our boys. Yeah, yeah we yeah. raise our girls, but we baby our boys. Mm-hmm. And now we got a bunch of baby boys running around. You know, won't commit to nothing, won't make a decision, don't want to work. Uh, don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And they think that their manhood is based on their sexual uh, ability to perform and make babies, or their manhood is also based on their ability to keep a lot of money in their pocket, however they get that money, or their manhood is based on, you know, beating on somebody or shooting somebody or taking a life. And that's not what manhood is. Yeah. I think part of his issue with older women too. He had a very strained adversarial relationship with his mother. And I think he was looking for a mom that was <laughs> perhaps more nurturing. Yeah, my mom and I, we we didn't get along. Very combative relationship. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, we were like uh, oil and water. Yes. Yeah, we <laughs> fought like cats and dogs. And it's only really now since about the last year or two that we're starting to get along. And, and you know, and I really, starting to appreciate her and understand that she did the best that she could with what she had, you know, right? And, you know, I can't imagine what it's like to lose, you know, a spouse. You know, when she lost my father, she was pregnant with me. That had to have been extremely difficult. And um, I think she wanted to do the best that she could, you know, to give me a father and my stepfather. I think that as a people, because of Jim Crow, uh, the way that we're raised, things of that nature, we think that raising a child is about giving them the best that the world has to offer. Well, that's one thing. Yeah, you know, you need things, you know, but really the greatest thing that you can give your child is you, mm-hmm. is you. And we substitute giving our children us with the best education, the best clothes, the best this, the best that, the the best neighborhood, the best. And we sacrifice time with the child because we're working two jobs, three jobs, and whatever it takes to just make ends meet. So the child misses out on us. Five years? Three years? Last five years. I was going to say five. Yeah, the last five years. It's been really good. Really good progressively getting better. Yeah, we've been through some challenges. I lost uh, my father five years ago in 2012. Uh, That's 
something to go through. I had not lost a parent before that. And just the support that you need of your own spouse in that transition was, I think it, it grows you. It, it creates a stronger bond. And now I'm taking care of my mother, uh, who's 94 <laughs> years old, has not been without its challenges. So there are, we, we kind of have this saying that God either has you, you know, you know, you're in something, you're going through something, or you're coming out of something, always. And that, but that's just part of growing and building your character. And I think all those things together have just really drawn us closer together. We fought three years ago, uh, in 2014, left our church where we met and married, and it had been the only church I'd ever been into. And we started uh, fellowshipping at another church, which was very unusual, not a traditional Black Baptist church. It was multicultural, it was non-denominational, it was very different, but we just felt God was leading us over there. And that has been an experience. Um, we were even fortunate enough to be blessed to go to India a year ago, a year and a half ago in 2015? December 2015, or October 2015. October. October mm -hmm. 2015. Uh, as a result of some connections we made through our life group. So God has continued to build and draw our journey. As far as where we're going next, I think wherever God has us. We love family ministry. That is our gift. That is our calling. Uh, our, our mentors put a great gift in us as far as res restoring the family, teaching people the application of the family, uh, uh, the application of God's word for the family, to strengthen the family. It's what we love to do. It's what we do. If we could do that full time all day long, that's what we would do. And we love to travel. So <laughs> unfortunately, the mentoring doesn't pay anything, but, <laughs> but, but God has know, taken very good care of us as far as that area too. But I mean, uh, our thing is, you know, what we do about speaking into the lives of other people, you know, we do it for free. You know, mm -hmm. it's not even about the money with right. us. You know, a lot of people make it about money and, it's not, you know, it's really about um, helping people wholeheartedly, you know, and pouring into them, you know, and watching them, watching them get it and watching a marriage get fixed. That's the reward. You know, you mm -hmm. can't put a price Absolutely. on that.